Welcome to 10-Minute Theology, thinking rightly about God, scriptures, and the church 10 minutes at a time, with Joel Wentz. Weirdly enough, it seems like God, the question of God, for many people of faith is actually kind of an unexamined question. When you say the word God, or the name God, what are you actually actually talking about? Are you referring to a person, to some kind of impersonal being or spirit? Is that being benevolent, malignant, or is it just neutral, sitting back? Um, Is that being spirit person actually involved in the world in some way? Or even more importantly, is it involved in your life in any way? For lots and lots of people, God, such a neutral term, uh, it's been referred to in some very, very unsatisfying ways, actually. God can be the being who maybe got me a job or found me a spouse or even things as minor as made my car work at the exact moment I hoped uh, or sent me a check in the mail for the exact amount I needed. Uh, All kinds of things. But for other people who hear that, who those things have not happened to, their question becomes, why would God do that for you but not do that for me, even though I needed it too. So in that way, the driving attributes about God just become what does God do or not do uh, for me or for you. As such, the notion of God eventually can erode for a lot of people. And for many, many people that I talk to and that I know, the idea of God then becomes so distasteful that the idea of faith in that God is downright abhorrent. So this is why kind of relaunching this series uh, with a short series of episodes on God, the notion of God. I want to break down some ideas that I see are extremely important, and ultimately, I hope to pose something that's a little more tenable, maybe a little more relevant uh, to people where they're at. But first, interestingly, before we get into a lot of that stuff, I want to talk about God by talking about a human Because you see, there have been many, many examples of building philosophies and theologies to understand God through the years, through the centuries and the millennia, actually. But most of them start from some abstract, otherworldly foundation. As a committed Christian myself, I actually think it's radically and fundamentally important to begin any conversation about God by looking at one human specifically. You probably guessed by now, but that human is the person of Jesus Many people might contend uh, that Jesus is unique. I certainly would. He's of unique historical importance, maybe. Uh, His teachings changed the world for a lot of people, uh, or something else along those lines. And such assertions are definitely true, at least I think so. Uh, I don't actually think they go far enough. Jesus is unique, first and foremost, because he is the one instance, the one instance in history of perfect unity, of full divinity, and full humanity. That's not something that happened before him and has not happened since he walked around. To use the philosophical theological term, Jesus is irreducibly particular. This particularity, this union of divine and human, is known in theological circles as incarnation. The term incarnation. If you search on Google for that term, or the word incarnate, uh, the verb form means to embody or represent in human form referring to a spirit or a deity or divinity, or it might say to put an abstract idea into concrete form. 
These definitions seem pretty adequate at first, but I think after a closer inspection, a careful reader or careful thinker will begin to realize how difficult it is to actually explain the radical reality of the incarnation of Jesus Christ. The language of embody or represent, it just simply doesn't capture what orthodox theology actually maintains about Jesus, because Jesus was not simply God in a human form. Um, his human form didn't actually represent something else, as this would imply that he wasn't actually fully, completely human. But on the other hand, it doesn't suffice to say that he was a human who represented or embodied divinity to us, because that might imply that he also wasn't fully, truly God. So you can hopefully see where this starts to get really difficult. And also, you can probably start to see where common ways of talking about the incarnation of Jesus fall really short. Let me give two quick examples of this. One such example is to talk about Jesus as a self-limiting expression of God, as though God emptied himself of certain attributes or strengths or abilities. We might think of omnipresence, his being all-knowing, so on and so forth. He Maybe he emptied himself of those uh, abilities or those attributes or traits so that he could approximate humanity or get closer to what it means to be human. Maybe you've heard some analogies. I, I've heard before uh, the analogy of a professional soccer player who intentionally plays with the off foot um, as a way to kind of handicap him or herself to be near the skills of other players. Uh, that might be the way that someone talks about Jesus becoming a human, even though he's God. But I, I just don't think that that is adequate. It's simple, but it's not adequate because Jesus then becomes kind of like the Superman while he's Clark Kent. He's just kind of pretending to be something that he actually isn't. And another way of talking about the Incarnation that's also, I think, inadequate is referred to as the two natures model of talking. So it's a little more complicated, and there's really no corresponding simple analogy to explain it. But essentially what's going on is Jesus has two natures of divine and human which occupy him simultaneously. At different points in Jesus' life, one of these natures would would surface and be the one that is visible. So, for example, while healing or performing miracles, and certainly definitely at the resurrection, the divine nature was the most visible. But maybe while we see him grieved or tempted or emotional, etc., things of that nature, the human nature is what was visible. This is, I just think this is unhelpful because it can result in this weird split personality model of thinking about Jesus. Sometimes he's one way, sometimes he's another. And the question of how does he navigate back and forth between the two of them is just completely Completely impossible to reconcile or to understand at all. So, with these two inadequate ideas put forward, how do we move past them? Well, there is a woman by the name of Catherine Tanner who wrote this little book called Jesus, Humanity, and the Trinity, and I think she puts some really helpful language forward. Uh, the only way that I think we can progress in this conversation about God and about Jesus is to really, really rethink how we define both divinity and humanity. You see, the reason it's so tremendously difficult to talk about this is because we think of divinity and humanity on competitive terms, which this is language from Tanner's book. You see, something can be a fruit, for example, but it cannot be both an apple and an orange. These are competitive natures. They cannot operate in the same space. It's just not possible, and we know this. Similarly, another way to think about this is of humans and animals. They are fundamentally competitive natures. One cannot be both human and animal. And this actually is how we tend to think of divinity and humanity. They are fundamentally competitive. But what if that is actually incorrect? 
What if divinity and humanity are different from each other in such radically different ways, Tanner says, on different planes of being, that they actually cannot compete? So in other words, what if divine and human could theoretically occupy the same space, the same being, the same instantiation of a person without competing with each other, without all the philosophical, theological gymnastics and analogies and half-hearted explanations we conjure up to get at that? So here is, that being said, here's an analogy that isn't totally adequate, but I guess the conversation pointed in the right direction. So say you're a sports fan. Say you are a baseball fan. Could you be a fan of both the Red Sox and the Yankees? Yes, maybe you could. As someone who lives in New England, I know that would be very strange. But at some point or another, the Red Sox and the Yankees are going to play against each other. And as a fan of both teams, what do you do? You have to come down on one side or another. You have to pick one of them. You see, these are competitive natures, if you want to call it competitive uh, fandoms, Red Sox and Yankees. But the same person could be a fan of the Red Sox and the Patriots. They're different sports, baseball and football. At no time are they going to compete with each other directly. No one would have any issue with you being a fan of the Red Sox and the New England Patriots, or to be more controversial, to be a fan of the Yankees and the New England Patriots. It's non-competitive. They can exist in the same space, no problem. Now, that's a simple analogy. It doesn't adequately solve kind of the philosophical ideas between humanity and divinity, but hopefully you can see that it gets the conversation going, and I think that it gets past some of the unhelpful analogies that exist. If divinity and humanity are not fundamentally competitive, then maybe, maybe they could perfectly come together in one person in such a way. And I believe they did. So, finally, why does this all matter at all? Two quick reasons. One, how we talk about Jesus is important. And two, this has huge implications for what it means to be human and the actual impact of things like sin and divinity on the human experience. So, the first point about Jesus, Jesus is the centerpiece of everything we believe as Christians, and it's important to talk about him well. If he truly reveals God to us, which is biblical, and I believe fundamentally and inarguably true, then we cannot spend enough time thinking about and talking about Jesus well. We cannot exhaust the mystery of the incarnation of the person of Jesus simply because God is so big. But we also shouldn't stop searching for language and understanding. Jesus is too important and radical to be lazy about this. And the second point, if this understanding of incarnation is true or it gets, gets us somewhere, then humanity is actually not, by definition, opposed to full divinity. This is huge for how we understand ourselves as humans. So to say I'm just a human is actually a harmful lie that we need to strike from our vocabulary. Now, I'm certainly not arguing that humans are perfect or that we can get there just on our own merit. That's where sin enters the picture, which will require an entire different talk or podcast or episode to unpack. But rather, for now, all I want to argue is that humanity, as it was created and designed by God, was not inherently designed with a flaw that makes us impossible for us to know and receive God. Sin does its best to get in the way and to muck that process up, but it is not, it is not our design as humans. And Jesus shows us that sin does not get that final say. Sin does not define my humanity. God does. And more importantly, Jesus does. Thanks for listening. For more information, you can check out the podcast page at joelwentz.com, or you can follow me on Twitter at joelthevaliant. And of course, you can always subscribe to 10 Minute Theology on iTunes. Take care.